0: Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Boddy. This is Episode 10, Edie Demas, The Sphere of Cultural Responsibility, Act 2, recorded July 28, 2017 at the Jacob Burns Film Center in Pleasantville, New York.
1: Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie, but they don't apply To people like you and me Let's Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided All divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plowed, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 It up
2: now. On August 16th, 2018, The queen of soul passed away. I've always loved Aretha Franklin. I've been singing her songs since I was a kid. To me, Aretha is the very picture and a symbol of feminarchy, which continues to be on the forefront of my mind and actions. I've talked about feminarchy before, and others talk about smashing the patriarchy, but I am starting to talk about building up the feminarchy i'm working on a definition of this term that i completely made up Um, so here's what i've got so far the ability to activate positive impacts in the world for marginalized people on small and large scales through the arts social services kindness supports and I think about Aretha's Respect, which I think was written by somebody else, but um, when she sang it, it, the reason why I say that, I think it was written by Otis Redding because he also sings it, but whoever wrote it, it might have been written by a man. However, when Aretha sings Respect and when she sang it at that time, it was a call to women and for women to be taken seriously by men and for um, centuries. Men have just... Holding, I think, holding women back, and and then she in in the in the seventies, you know, she offers to um, bail out Angela Davis uh, during her trial at a time when um, she wasn't being given bail or her, the bail was they couldn't raise money for it. It's you know these actions of a black woman, a woman, seeing another woman. In, in peril and r- saying, I will help. This is what I mean by the feminarchy is you see something and this feminarchy can be, uh, or these actions can be done by anybody. It doesn't have to be a woman, but the idea of seeing something that is gone, going wrong, helping, supporting, it could be as small as somebody like um, a mentor, right? saying, I see that you need some support, let me help you. It could be that simple, or it could be on a larger, grander scale. Um, And that's what I think feminarchy is about. I'm I'm very, I'm very focused on this. Um, And so I wanna say thank you to Aretha. I wanna acknowledge the amazing body of work that she's done and the courage that she's had throughout the years and what kind of influence that she has had on many of us, I'm sure. And uh, her music and her actions will live on uh, and on. I think another symbol of feminarchy, uh, at least in my world, is Cora Khan, president and CEO of The New 42nd Street. And she recently announced that she's stepping down at the end of this fiscal year. If you don't know, she is the woman who, along with her team that she built, changed the very course of 42nd Street, including opening and running the New Victory Theater. And has been running, uh, you know, the head of a board or working with a board who's been, and staff who have been thinking very deeply about New York City kids and their families and the adults in their lives. And to me, that is another example of feminarchy. I have been very blessed to have been able to work with Cora for more than one decade, about 15 years now and beyond. Again, I think about these things, and this episode is about Edie Demas. And she's another person who I think uh, models what this idea that I'm talking about of feminarchy is. Uh, she's been, a, as I said, a very huge influence in my life, lifting me up when. I was starting in this career um, and supporting the growth and mentoring me throughout. And again, this idea around deeply thinking around uh, the responsibilities that we have to children within the work or within the scope of our work that we do, but even on a more global scale and what responsibilities adults have towards kids in a way that I think, Um, Historically, we haven't necessarily been so great at, at, but could be working towards getting better. So, in the second act, we talk about Edie's time at the New Victory and how her core values permeate and manifest in her current pursuits. I'm really excited for you to listen to the next act of Edie Demas' The Sphere of Cultural Responsibility, Act Two. So, speaking of learning and doing more. Yes. So, when did you come back to the the states?
3: I came back to the states in the summer of two thousand and one.
2: In the summer. Mm-hmm. Um. And what what was the reason for returning?
3: I I was living in Dublin at that time. I had left Cork. I'd gone to Dublin to um. Primarily, I had an opportunity, because of the film festival work that I had done for, I guess, about three years, three, three festivals, um, I had met a number of Irish producers, and um, there was a new producing team who was interested in creating a slate of projects for um, kids and family audiences. And they asked me to come on board as a development executive to put that slate together. And I was really excited about it and, and um, identified a slate of projects for them. But in order to, to do all of that and to try to push the projects along, I needed to be in Dublin. So I was living in Dublin doing that. And I was still doing some work for the Abbey. In fact, it was during that time that I did this dance project with um, a senior women that i mentioned Mm -hmm. and um and i just the work was very satisfying but i wasn't very happy in dublin Mm -hmm. and um didn't have the same community i had in cork it was a different time you know several years had passed and and a a lot of my closest friends had also moved on from cork and were doing different things Mm -hmm. and um and and you know, again, it was this hot time in Ireland. Dublin was expensive. It was hard to find a decent place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of had this light switch go off. Like, if I'm going to live in kind of a ratty apartment and pay exorbitant <laughs> rent, I could be back in New York. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and I thought, but, oh, God, like, I have had this weird work history No one's going to understand it. I've been away from NYU so long. I mean, I was still in touch because by that time there had been several NYU study abroads in Ireland that I had been lucky enough to be part of. So it wasn't that distant, but I just couldn't figure out. I hadn't done a dissertation. So it's not like I was going back suddenly like being in a position to go on anybody's faculty. Um,
2: Was that of interest to you to work in the university sector?
3: I mean, may, maybe, it was a, mm. certainly a possibility. I love teaching, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, th- in that way, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kind of didn't know, and it just felt so weird and awkward to try to go back. And mm-hmm. I sort of also felt like, if I go back without a plan, does it seem like, and I didn't do the dissertation, does it, do I look like a failure, Failure? like mm-hmm. who's going to want me? So I was going through all this stuff, but I, I started kind of, um, you know, peeking at um, online job listings. And it's so crazy now, but even that was like a new frontier that you mm-hmm. could job search that way. And all of a sudden, the new Victory Director of Education job was in the um, NIFA listing. And I was like, oh... Oh, my God, that's so weird. That sounds like all the crazy freelance (laughs) gigs I've done in one place. Mm -hmm. How interesting. And, you know, of course, when I left New York, the New Victory didn't exist.
2: That's right. So Yeah. The New Victory opened in 95. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So I didn't know much about it. I'd sort of known there was something happening on 42nd Street, but it wasn't really on my radar. So I started kind of poking around and um, asking people if they what they knew about the new victory and it's so funny because it turns out that there was a theater critic living in dublin at the time and teaching and writing and teaching in dublin who's now back in canada named karen fricker who is a old friend of mary rose lloyd's um from bam i i believe Hmm. and so she she filled me in what she knew Mm -hmm. of the new vic and then um i had because of the work with Graffiti Theater Company, I had, we had brought a show um, to the Imaginate Festival in in Edinburgh, the first festival that Tony Rickey started as executive director. And uh, um, it was a festival that predated his programming of it. So it was like, oh, I'm here, I'm gonna observe, I'm gonna see what the festival looks like. Mm-hmm. So I met Tony there, and then there were a number of um, projects and conferences and things that we were trying to facilitate that um, Tony was involved in through Acetej and um, and Graffiti did a few European festivals while I was still with them, so I kept bumping into Tony. So I also wrote to Tony and said, what do you know about the new victory? And it turned out that Mary had just programmed um, Martha, to come to the New Victory that fall. Mm -hmm. so And because of the festival programmer circuit, um, Mary and and Tony were friends. So I got um, Tony's perspective on the New Victory that way. So so I thought, okay, well, what have I got to lose? Mm -hmm. I'll apply. And I um, sent a resume and I remember again, it was like, email was like this strange new th- world and and I wasn't sure about that and mm-hmm. I think the instructions were to apply by regular mail even at that time and so it was this giant thing and I you know I was so paranoid about getting it there from Ireland and making sure and I bundled up like teacher resource guides that I'd worked on so I I, I don't know it must have been a in again looking back a crazy package of stuff that they got from mm-hmm. me um, and then I thought, I so I did that, and I thought, you know what? If this job exists, so will others. And I decided to go home, and I booked a ticket. And um,
2: that's very brave. You're very brave, Edie. <laughs> if this exists, so will others. <laughs> I'm off.
3: Uh, <laughs> um, and after I made the decision to go home, which was, it sound, I sound like I made it lightly. You know, it was of had course. very good friendships there. It was mm. it was sad mm-hmm. to leave. But it just was time, and that that made me realize um, that it was time, and that I wasn't as crazy and as I thought with mm-hmm. this resume. And um, um, I, I was packed. up, and it was a big deal to to move back because I had, you know, I had acquired a lot of stuff by that point for even furniture that I had to decide what to do with. So. I was, pa- I was figuring out how to ship it all home and I had stuff in boxes and all of this and, and my apartment got broken into one night. Um, while I was there alone in bed, I heard three guys on the windowsill and I just, I freaked out and um, started screaming and there was, I remember hearing like broken glass and like they were also kind of laughing and I shot out the front door like a lightning bolt went down to the street luckily um mobile phones were (laughs) around called my friend who lived nearby and and she called the police and she and her husband came right over and um waited with me on the street and then we went back up and sure enough the window was broken and there was blood on the sorry this is i I digress anyway (laughs) that's a crazy
2: story it was crazy
3: and it was scary and i never spent another night in that apartment and Mm -hmm. um but, they, you know, they were gone. They didn't get anything. And, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't get to me. Right. It was all fine in the end. But it was sort of like, it was another kind of sign was how mm-hmm. I chose to read it. Mm. That it, my time in Dublin, and in that apartment for sure, was was done. And so I said goodbye and um, <clears throat> went home to D.C. And at that point, I, I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the new victory had Nothing formal, I, you know, I had the acknowledgement and they were sifting through resumes and all of that. And I went back to D.C. I think they may have, I think there may have been an exchange about something around, um, are you coming back to the country anyway? You know, one of those check-ins, <laughs> HR check-ins. Mm. And um, so there I was in D.C. And um, I I was had decided to be back in the States. My sister and I, Amy and I, were going to go on a road trip cross country. And she had a friend getting married in Northern California. So we were going to, um, uh, you know, do a, a girl trip. So we were getting ready for that. And I was in, <laughs> I was in some, um, discount store, you know, with a communal dressing room, one of those with my mom shopping for this trip. And she was so excited. I was home and my f- phone rang and, um, mid-changing and it was the new victory to set up an interview and I remember my mom was like (laughs) so excited and I was scrambling around trying to deal with this call and I'm going on this trip and I don't know how to schedule it and all this stuff so we we made an arrangement for a first round phone interview uh when I landed in northern California for this wedding and um The wedding was on something like September 14th, 2001. The call was scheduled for like the 12th or the 13th. And so we were in Arizona when September 11th happened. And uh, so, I mean, you know, that was life-changing for all of us. And uh, finally, got had to figure out how to get to Northern California. There, were, uh, all of that got there. Um, did the call? I might not have how it was scheduled exactly right. Doesn't matter anyway. Did the call? Um, and you know, the New Victory had that flood also. Oh my God! Yes, <laughs> the whole lower lobby had been flooded. <laughs> ironically, mm-hmm. on the same night, and they couldn't get any of, of course, insurance adjusters there to help or people to help clean it up Mm -hmm. so they'd been through all this stuff in in addition to this the city and them being part of the city in Times square i mean all the work so anyway we finally had this call and and it went well and you know it's hard to it's First round interview by phone is is kind of odd, yeah. right? But it went but it went well enough that they invited me to come in to interview when I when I got back, and mm-hmm. so that happened. And it was kind of surreal because they were hiring a director of education, and at that time they didn't know if field trips would be reinstated, mm-hmm. and so there was this giant question mark. And they um, went ahead. And and so that was how that amazing chapter happened.
2: Yeah. So for that week was my second week in school. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And Where I worked, were you living? Uh, uh, so I was living in Long Island, but I uh, was working at Chelsea Piers. Oh, so, gosh, I remember that. Yeah. So when I crossed uh, the street, cause I had... Long story, but basically, I wasn't supposed to work that day. I had worked. I'd rearranged my schedule to actually work weekends, so I had Mondays and Tuesdays off. But I had a friend who was doing a team building activity uh, at Chelsea Piers in my in where in the, in the spot that I were, li- worked in, which was the Field House, and she didn't exactly know where to go. And so I, I she asked me to come. It was on a Tuesday, and I was like, "Um, hemmed and hawed." But then I thought, "Oh no, that's okay. I'll actually create." A day of it, right? So I'll just I'll go. I'll take you there. I'll go to the gym because I get to go to the gym there, which is amazing. Gym, <laughs> Uh, and then I'll go have breakfast and I'll just have you know a d- my day in the city, <laughs> and then I'll go to class that night. And when I arrived, I I brought her in, and there was no other staff there yet. So anyway, I crossed the street, you know, on the bus. Towers were intact. Inside, you can't see anything, and usually there are televisions everywhere, Right, um, but none of the TVs were on, none of the music was on, but this team building, I don't know why it was so early in the morning. It was like it's 7.30 or 7.45 or something like that. None of the staff were there, so they asked me to clock in and just be staff for until the, the rest of the team showed up, and so I had just changed, and I came back out, and um, my boss turned on the television at that point, the first plane had hit, and I... I don't know why, but I immediately went outside, even though they're like, maybe you should stay. And I went inside. Everybody's gawking, and while I was out there, the second plane hit, and that was for me. I was like, and I'm out. Right, I gotta go. And and, and anyway, so that did you get? I to Long I ended up walking home, essentially. I ended up walking basically to, uh, Met Stadium, and oh then the God. trains were back up, so I was able to get a train, uh, at Flushing. It was nuts obviously. Um, and I ended up not going back to work at Chelsea Pierce. had become like a triage center. Right, right. And I just, because I was so far away, I just didn't, uh, go back for another week. Um, and that I was not the same after that. And, and the week after, uh, I was in Nan- Nan's, uh, physical theater class and we just talked. Right. And it was exactly what was needed at the time. And everybody was sort of still in shock um, but for me that you talked earlier about that idea of, of community and I and, and again this was my second yeah. and now my third week of classes and I felt like this is thank God I'm here in this world mm-hmm. and I feel like I'm bonding with these people and I'm and and then we started to use theater as a way to sort of heal which is I feel like the art is that, that key to help people get to places of, of healing. Um, and I, I know I wasn't there, but I recall the, um, did that, did you, were you a part of that with the hands? You know what I'm talking about? The
3: panel? Yeah, no, I wasn't.
2: Okay. But that, but I, I, that visual is, Mm -hmm. is, is for in, in me. So I, so I don't recall because I wasn't as entrenched in the, in the education department of education at the time. Mm -hmm. So field trips were canceled. Right. What else was, was happening?
3: Um, that's the biggest thing that mm. I remember I I started at the new Vic in October so I don't remember exactly when that month so by the time I started I think we were back at having kids in shows school so, shows so it was a bit a couple of weeks it was or a, a few month-ish. weeks but it, it was the it was it was still everything was tentative. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also didn't know if, even though officially schools could come, individual schools and teachers felt differently about being in Times Square. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, f- I want to say the first show that had school performances back in was Bluegrassy Knoll. But I, I'm not, uh, that could have just been the first run that I was present for, present for mm, mm-hmm. officially um and we had a meeting uh in the lower lobby with with teachers and we just said what do you need mm. what can we do and it just sort of went on from there
2: yeah. what did they say they needed
3: they wanted to get back to normal mm. they wanted to come back they wanted You know, kids to feel like New York was running again. Mm
2: -hmm. So, so later that season, Tom's Midnight Garden was playing. Do you do you recall that? Yes, that was my first show. Seeing my first shows at the New Vic. Oh wow! (laughs) Um, And also, um, the following summer, I that's when I did the the summer abroad program. Mm -hmm. And Nancy Swartzell said, "There's this new director of education. (laughs) Her name is Edie (laughs) Dimas." and and she's doing wonderful things there you should you should know about the new victory and um so so in your first year at you know this this crazy event that really had a huge impact on new york city obviously and and in fact the world and how we view so um i love the fact that that you got that the new vic was I know a lot about the New obviously, but um, and the thing that we I think we do very well is um, really engaging the teachers, really asking. Not only, like, what do you need, but what? how can we be working together? How can we partner together? Uh, what else can we be doing? Uh, so I love that that was, you know, always the case. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, the new victory started with me hi- getting high. You know what I mean? Right, like, sure. My experience and being hired with you, which that was a, a, a clear. Um, oh, I just lost my thought, uh, my question. But I'm just curious. Oh, yeah. What – when you started, was there um, – a sort of directive to you, uh, you know how? What I maybe talk a little bit about the history. The history before you started, meaning you know what was what were the programs that were up and running.
3: So the Nuvic was about, I guess it was five years old, but maybe in its sixth season when I started, or some something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, and and its core programs, I think, are are still sort of the foundation programs today um and and it's and it's vision around education um so it was the the founding idea that the arts should be free to public city uh new york city kids like public school library books and garbage collection but that um it also the arts also needed to be valued so Mm -hmm. the two dollar ticket price was landed on so there was that founding mm-hmm. belief. Um, and as wrapped up in that belief was the idea that whatever show came to play for the public audiences would also play for school audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was that. And then there was um, the idea that around that there should be a way to engage um Teachers more deeply in the work, Mm -hmm. so there were teacher resource guides, school tools that were part of it always, and then and similarly to engaging teachers further in the work and giving them tools to engage their students further in the work, there was the idea of how do we promote family engagement? So the family workshops were um, running, Mm -hmm. had been there, and then there was the third big idea, which was founding idea, which was around youth employment. And that um, coming out of intense thinking about what the new victory should be and what a theater dedicated to kids and families needed to provide, Mm -hmm. um, that jobs for kids was part of what it needed to provide. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were the three core major strands of programmatic activity. Mm -hmm. And... um, and sort of the stru- while the structures and the way those activities are put into action has changed and evolved mm-hmm. over the years. I think that that, that that founding sort of triumvirate of engagement is, uh, ha- is, has always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there began to be sort of subtle shifts around how those three things were uh, realized. And while I didn't have a direct mandate um you can you can cut this out if you want but in my first official meeting with 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 Cora Khan, the president of the new 42nd street and Lisa Post the executive vice president mm-hmm. Cora said to me I don't know what it looks like but I want you to get in there and build me the best motherfucking education program in the city <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, I'm keeping that. <laughs> um, I'm not sure y- yeah. she
3: actually said fucking. She might have said effing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then she sort of said, oh, I, you know, I, so, you know, sorry I said that. I said, well, hey, I just arrived from Ireland and I'm not afraid of the F word. Mm-hmm. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, I did, I did give that to Michelle Elliott when she was writing the gala script last year. And she, I think she was going to try to use it, but it sounds like it didn't stay. I, it didn't stay.
2: <laughs> didn't stay. <laughs>
3: Um, so, you know, that was in my head and I was like, all right. And we dug in as you, as you know, and you Mm -hmm. were, you, you, you came into that process Mm -hmm. very soon afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and some of the first shifts, some were, were subtle, as I said. So we changed the school membership program to the school partnership program Mm -hmm. because that implied a reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, we started playing around with pre and post performance class workshops in the classroom mm-hmm. and in order and and at first those were um implemented by staff and then we to sort of experiment and pilot and see if people wanted them and they did and then we started and we there were site visits that were part of that Do you remember you went with me there was that teacher, oh, I can't remember what school. Sasha's the dreamer. He's still there. <laughs> there. Um, that's... And he had the most amazing bulletin boards. Oh, yes. And he still we has were them. like, <laughs> I remember, I think it was you and me and Jill done. Mm-hmm. And, we were, and we were seeing the work that mm-hmm. he was doing before and after. And he became, and others, but he, I remember him the most viscerally. This sort of touchstone for what could be possible, and um, how we could serve both students and teachers, mm-hmm. and deepen and enrich the work, right, and, and the learning and mm-hmm. the impact. Mm-hmm. Now we say impact, right? Mm-hmm. So there was, so there was, so there was that, and I think the idea of partnership was a really important shift. You know, la- language matters. Yes. Um, about that same time and about the time that, that you and David Kilpatrick, mm-hmm. a, who's now at the Kennedy Center, arrived, we started to, to – I also started because back to the Swartzells, Lowell – and this was where – Lowell's mentorship to me really came more in this phase. And mm-hmm. he was like – and I'm so lucky because there was just a short window between when I got back to New York and he passed away. And he said to me, "Okay, you got to fin- You got to write a dissertation now. You're back. You've had your time in Ireland. Let's get it going." And um, you know, NYU has um, this rule requirement, whatever, that to stay matriculated as a doctoral student, that you have to register for a point of credit every semester, including the summer. And I had not done that. So I had six or seven years of non-matriculated status to deal with at um, NYU, which is not nothing in terms of cash. And I was like, you know, Lowell, I, <laughs> I can't. I know how to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So Lowell said... You were getting ready to write your dissertation. You passed your exams. You couldn't find full-time employment in New York City. You found full-time employment outside of the country. Write me a letter detailing why that happened and what you've been doing for the last seven years. And Lowell went to bat and he got the fees waived for me.
2: Wow.
3: And I went back into the program. um, And I was back at the same time as... um, Phil Taylor returned to the program mm-hmm. and soon took over as the program director. And so he became my dissertation chair. And Nancy Smithner and Cecily O'Neill were my two other uh, readers, mentors, supporters mm-hmm. in that. And um, and so as the New Victory program was evolving, and I decided, I, well, I should write what I know. I know about the New Victory. Correct. <laughs> so I, I wrote on... Um, I use the new victory as a case study for looking at how the work of an education department um, makes a cultural organization's mission manifest on the ground in the real world. Um, and and I and I give all that background information to say that as part of that, I did a whole bunch of interviews. Cora was one. Um, David Kilpatrick was one and I think a lot about David Kilpatrick every time I use the word access now Mm. when I think about the arts and cultural activity because in the course of that interview David said to me um, this thing about the $2 ticket. And while it's so great that that's a founding belief and value of the, of the new victory um, in terms of access, he said, I just can't help, but think, you know, what is access anyway? Is just being able to walk through the door, giving a kid access to the arts mm. um, isn't access more than being sitting in a chair. Um, and so that stayed with me mm. in, in the dissertation and, and beyond. And um so big shout out to David for that mm-hmm. touchstone mm-hmm. moment, um, and and so I think you know we all sort of came together to, in those early days of the classroom workshops mm-hmm. and building the teaching artists, what's now the teaching artists ensemble together, mm-hmm. um, and and the other side of that was these family workshops where we'd had experience with teaching artists or um, you know people who get booked for birthday parties and other <laughs> events right. um, facilitating those or entertaining at those sessions. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it was really interesting to think about um, what is the role of, of a teaching artist mm-hmm. in, a, in a presenting house that's um, multidisciplinary? Um, how can they deepen access um, enrich the experience work with teachers mm-hmm. work with families mm-hmm. work with kids um work with the work on the stage and um yeah and and, and then and you know you know the rest we yeah. took it from
2: there <laughs> we took it from there i mean i so i i am actually gonna correct you i don't think i was on that trip to Oh, Sausage. you weren't no you weren't i don't think i was hired at that point because when i was hired the class the pre- and post program had already been piloted and now it was going to be a full-fledged oh, program so we had done
3: was... we had done the year when it was just jill mm-hmm, and david mm-hmm. and then we'd had that, that those first five or so teaching ours and then okay
2: yeah so uh, when i came in um i started maybe a few days before the teaching artist audition and that was to the higher right. the first sort of class pledge class or yeah so, that, that's what we call them now but um <laughs> the first you know core group of what now is the uh, Teaching Artist Ensemble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being so impressed and excited because as somebody who's working as a teaching artist um, and and being told I'm being working for other organizations, being told I'm working in a team teaching model, but I was paired up with a teacher, a classroom teacher, not right. another teaching artist. I was so excited about that because the idea of being able to go into a classroom with somebody who is armed with the same understanding as you armed with the same knowledge and, or something that we, you know, we complement each other and the same goals goals and, and to deal with classroom management and all those other pieces um, was really exciting. And on top of it, the idea of, of, Um, The administrative staff that usually feel like they're tied to their desk actually going out and teaching Mm -hmm. was a huge, you know, uh, positive uh, for me, Um, you know, coming out of just just finally sort of understanding what this could look like um, for me. Um, But that became the foundation for where we are now. And you know Um,
3: that um, that team teaching model came from directly from creative arts team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because that was when I was there. That was how they worked. Mm-hmm. There were that was non-negotiable, and even though I was working in the office, I would do site visits, and um, and and I was close to a number of the actor teachers, and I saw the the value in having a partner mm-hmm. like that.
2: It also provides so many opportunities. The curriculum gets um, has has larger uh, implications that that you know one of us could be doing we can break into these different groups and how we also find ways for the classroom teacher to be able to manage a group create while they're creating or they can read something or they're involved because we don't necessarily for the pre and post we don't pre plan with the teachers right we don't have that capability especially now when we're doing thousands of workshops (laughs) so um so you talked about your something that was an anchor and a core value for you that you found early on this idea of community and vehicles for expression Mm -hmm. um one of the pivotal points for me working with you um was when um you had gone to a, a conference and came back and were like core values (laughs) and we need to do this and we and and we knew that we were doing we had a a big boost right we expanded our our programming season right therefore we were expanding how many workshops we were planning and how many teaching arts we needed to hire in order to do that work we needed to hire and basically double our ensemble which wasn't coined the ensemble at that point but
3: wasn't that wasn't it you, me, and Michael Wiggins coming back from Las Vegas where no. we said we had to have core values. No, <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is this is where my this is good. Okay, so you you had gone to a conference with di- directors of education. Oh, we, right, you right, came right, back. right, We had, right. had had our training I remember already. That. that was in planned.
3: Arizona in August. It was <laughs> oh. really. <laughs> I got. <laughs> I walked out on the sidewalk and went running back into the airport. <laughs>
2: like panicking but you had come back and said because we had already set our curriculum and you were like I got it this is what we do And we threw everything in the air and I remember us you know sitting in the conference room and being like this is what we say our programs do but what do we actually what's underneath all of that I was like I'm all about this I love this (laughs) Um, oh, and God. then we had like this, you led us through this like two day experience. That's where, um, all of our guiding and we right, ended up with right. a set of guiding principles right. that then sort of got distilled. There were these big, you know, sort of lofty, right. Right. But that process is something that I still do today with the teaching artist course. I get people who are emerging into the field and people who are, who have experienced really Figure out what it is that is in your heart and, and how and how does it translate to how you practice, not only as an artist, right. but as a teaching artist. And um, so so like I said, that's that's something that I've asked other people on the show. Um, and so when when you so now I'm less about Nivek, mm-hmm. okay, and more about Edie. Mm-hmm. So in terms of your core values, how do you find them manifesting? What are they? if you can name like the top three let's so we don't have to get too many but like how how do they manifest in in your choices for your career and or in your life um or how you supervise
3: well i i believe um that every person no matter their age has a right to be a full participant in the cultural life of their community um, that it's more than access. It's mm-hmm. more than a free ticket or a reduced ticket. <clears throat> um, and more and more, I believe, as the models of um, youth development expand in the arts, mm-hmm. more and more I believe that it's not that being an active participant means more than being a consumer of an art form, but a maker as well. One of the things that drives me in this organization at the Jacob Burns is there's, it's an education sort of hashtag, but it permeates the whole organization, Mm -hmm. which is this commitment to viewing and doing. So um no matter what your age you don't just watch a film mm-hmm. you participate in a conversation you make a short film like you saw those kids today there's a a cycle of participation in the art form mm-hmm. and a belief in the power of visual storytelling um to propel people to participate um I think the, I wouldn't put this in a grant, but I feel like all art forms function that way. Mm -hmm. All art forms should have a a consuming and a making component. That's what, when David asked the question, what is real access, Mm -hmm. authentic access, I now feel I can answer it with that so that's a core belief for me that it's like a yin and yang to me that gets us past is it arts integration is it arts for art's sake is Mm -hmm. it whatever right I don't care about those arguments anymore and I guess another a current core value is I don't I'm tired of us arguing with each other about what we do Mm. because life is short And there's a lot of change that needs to happen in the world. And I don't have time to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So I think the things that keep me going in this sort of bird's eye role and um, set of responsibilities that I have in a new position like this one is how do I hang on to that yin and yang? How do I clear the obstacles for the people I work with here um, to also hang on to that? What is my responsibility in creating opportunities for them to, as individual staff members to check back in Mm. with that heartbeat? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And then how do I articulate that in a compelling way to get the support so that we continue to do the work. Mm-hmm. So those are the, like, the big responsibilities and the way I try to um, shoulder them. Um, yeah, I kind of think it just comes down to that. It's like a human right, and I'm tired of having to keep explaining that to mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, It should just be, you know, I went back, I was looking at something recently, I can't remember why uh, exactly, but I was remembering back at NYU, probably one of the times I had written like something that made Nancy say, drama's not going to save the world. Um, But sometime around in there in the early 90s, I had become aware of this, you know, the, the UN... Um, convention on the rights of the child Mm -hmm. which the u.s has still not signed Mm -hmm. and and cultural participation is one of them and um i just feel like why are we still having to fight for that and and what can i do to like further it along so that we can move on to whatever the next challenge is um because the more of this work that I'm fortunate enough to be part of, whether it's whatever the form of distribution is, you know, media or live or whatever, the more I keep having experiences like the one we shared today where it's like, isn't this obvious already people? I mean, look and listen, take note. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I've answered your question you or what all of that adds up to. <laughs> but, you know, I do think I guess as I as I try to hear myself, mm-hmm. I guess the other value or I guess it's more of an aspiration I now hold is how can we be better advocates for this work
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and
3: get out of our own arguments and on to the bigger one?
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm very close to what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I've just sort of stepped or dipped a toe in the advocacy world, and that that as you were talking, I was thinking, well, yeah, the, you know, there are larger things. That's shocking that the United States hasn't signed a document about children and their rights, and the idea that the you know culture cultural activity should be a part of um a healthy life. Right. I um, mean, it's shocking, but also we have an administration right now, and I, you know, I started this. Uh, uh, over a year ago before the election, and I sort of could see that there was this pathway to where we are now in wanting to strip away um, arts and cultural activities by wanting to slash uh, the NAA's uh, budget. And, um, you know, luckily the, the House is, as, as it is, even under a rep- Republican... Uh, Maturity um that they they haven't taken that uh suggestion uh to, to total heart i mean there is some it was i think it was at 149 and now they've they've uh proposed that it's at 145 145 million um which is still too low because we asked for 155 actually um, anyway but that but as you were talking um, you know having gone for me having gone to the arts advocacy day uh, organized by the Americans for the arts which which people can hear the Diaries um, that was a that was a that was talk About access, right? You know what I mean? Like, not only having access, but walking in the door, being in those offices, being at uh Washington, having the president come down because that was the beginning of the health care process. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all those moments, seeing the Supreme Court, seeing the Library of Congress, Senate, House, and um sitting and talking to uh, Congress members about the arts and why that's so important. And the idea of telling your stories here, these were these young people who were like, that's what I should be sending to at least the members that I got to speak with um, because they are interested and they want. And Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing that we're talking about now. just to use healthcare as a moment, like the kinds of stories that people were telling Right. right, and how were they getting that, information out it was either in person via media uh, different media um opportunities and uh, just as hard as this time is it's also illuminating in so many ways yeah i agree with you um and and so one of the things that I'm trying to do is is, is actually kind of similarly. Uh, I'm you know me. I'm I'm definitely heads down. I'm definitely about like doing the work and getting the work down on the ground. But as a director, I have to I have to be more present, which is what I started to talk about before. But um, is I need to. I'm trying to be better at a telling the stories b uh, with this particular project, which is not a new victory project. It's mine is trying to get more stories about out that of people that I think I admire. I, uh, who are basically my friends, but also do really, really strong work. And I think that by telling your story by other people that I'm interviewing by them telling their stories, that's helping other people mm-hmm. to find ways to a either tell their stories or learn that my experience is is not so far out like you were saying finding your community so um and i again like i'm trying to tie it back to those kids because the idea of them coming into uh, a new uh landscape being embraced for four weeks having these cultural uh uh touch points and not just the, just consuming, but making Mm -hmm. and learning about how to make and technique and what kind of experience is that going to, how is that going to stick? You know what I mean? I'm so curious. curious. I agree. I agree. Um, Yeah. And so I guess, you know, just to move forward a little bit about one of the things that I learned from you, uh, as, as, as somebody who managed me and now I manage people is looking at goals and mm-hmm. and having conversations about, you know, what are your professional goals? Is this role that you're currently in, in terms of, of your placement and your, the work that you're doing, the workflow, is that mirroring what you're trying to do, what you want to do, having those conversations, honestly, um, because there's, you know, it's not, it's not, um, where people start are, is not always where they are in, mm-hmm. in terms, of, you know, there's growth, but then I may be wanting to go in this direction and my job's not necessarily there. Or I see a path and I'd like to, and how, how as a supervisor, will I know that unless I'm not asking those questions right so i'm i'm asking that question of you so what are your goals what are you interested in whether it's within the the current position that you're in but in general you started to talk about advocacy is that something that you're interested in doing not only within your position but um,
3: yeah i and i don't i'm yes and um Mm -hmm. i'm definitely interested in advocacy in terms of um uh the power of arts education and, and arts and culture generally in the role it can play in communities and change. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also, Oh shoot. I just lost the, the bigger thing. Ah. Goals. Oh, I'm, as part of that, and whether it's advocacy in the traditional sense in terms of the you know the types of formal advocacy you were involved in with Americans for the Arts, right, and kind of lobbying Congress, I'm really, since the election, really thinking about, it's kind of like uh, put your money where your mouth is time. Mm-hmm. Like you've been, I mean, you as in me, thinking mm-hmm. to myself. Mm-hmm. You've been involved in this work for your whole career now. Um, and yet and still, my awakening post-election has been around most of the time um, I'm preaching to the choir. And that is part of the reason why we are where we are. Mm. And what, do, what is my responsibility in getting out of my silo And doing something about that. I don't have the answer to that Mm -hmm. yet. Um, But that's the thing I worry about now. Because I think that that... There's a real sense of comfort and validation that comes from talking to people who feel the same way as you do. Or similarly. Similarly enough that... um, while there's exchange, of viewpoint, you're still sort of in the same ballpark. Mm-hmm. Um, being in the same ballpark is not what where we are right now. And it's, it's what you heard those kids talk about. I was really impressed with that young woman in the intro who talked about how do we upend the tribalism we find ourselves in. Now, that's a really potent word, mm-hmm. and I can't get it out of my head. So how do we and what is my job as someone who just told you a few minutes ago that I believe everybody has right to cultural participation. But do we do it together outside of our tribes? We -hmm. don't so much. Mm -hmm. So how do we change that? Um, And again, what's my obligation running a cultural institution in doing that? I, don't, I I don't have an answer yet, but those are the questions I'm asking myself since November, mm-hmm. and they're painful. They're hard. Yeah. Um, but they're really important. I did a I was um had an opportunity this year to lead a board development workshop for Space at Rider Farm on the topic of diversity. And I said no the first time I was asked because I said I don't know how to. I I I I don't know how to talk about that, uh, and I don't feel like I'm, in, uh, you know, I have a wonderful board, but I, it's not a, you know, an exemplar, and um, it's something we're all, it's a process, and we're all in it, mm-hmm. and and anyway, so. I sent the, the folks that asked me to do it a whole bunch of material. I said, this is what I'm reading and where I'm thinking, you take this and, you know, I'll, you know maybe we could have like a book club and we could talk about it, but I can't do a workshop. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they came back and ultimately said, really think you should, do, you're the person to do this. So I did. And it was interesting. There were two things that answer your question. Mm-hmm. One, I loved facilitating again. So it reminded me that I really missed that piece of my work and, um, and I, I don't know how I'm going to do more of that, but I, I really miss teaching and facilitating. Um, so that was a good takeaway mm-hmm. on a personal level. But um, in terms of this conversation, I, I went, I found a document on the National Guild's board resources page, a study called Vital Vers- uh, Voices, which was a survey of people of color on nonprofit boards and i use that um to provide a working definition of diversity for this session Mm -hmm. and one of the um it's a it's a long sentence with a lot of commas right of what diversity is and one of them is um differing political viewpoints so i did this workshop Mm -hmm. i feel like in february or march i can't remember exactly and so we were in the thick of it, and it was hard to think about. Do I really wanna be on a board with with them, right? Mm-hmm. And so what do we do with that idea of them? Mm-hmm. You know, as arts educators, we work really hard not to think about a them or an other. We're inclusive. Mm-hmm. But how far does that idea of inclusivity go? And it was a it you know I don't again I don't have an answer but one of the things that that we came to um, it, through this workshop was because we were also looking at well as you develop your board what are the core values of the organization what's the board culture you want to promote and then until you can answer those questions you can't think about what diversity means mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. so anytime you look at a board candidate the first And most important thing and the and the data in the study board out was that you're bringing people on whoever they are that have skills to offer real tangible things to offer Mm -hmm. and are going to fit within the value system and culture of your organization so that's first and so we began to tease that out Mm -hmm. so we got to a place where we could imagine a board candidate um, from a different party or with different political views, but who also shared the value system of whatever, and I forget the list now, but, you know, collaboration and Mm. creativity and whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was, I, I felt in terms of thinking about the workshop, I felt like that was a successful place for the workshop to get to but mm-hmm. for me personally I also thought there's something in that that starts to be about how I answer this question to myself mm-hmm. about tribes and silos so that's my new frontier
2: That's, a, that's a, <laughs> I think that's a great new frontier um we I, I for me that, that for me I'm doing a, I'm doing a lot of like this but also in terms of those conversations I've been sort of here and meaning I have family and friends who have different points of view and political views and I'm trying to have those conversations uh, respectfully but have those conversations in person mm-hmm. and uh, they are not easy at all um, I know we didn't get deep into teaching artistry and we are coming to a close but um, I would love to try and find another time to talk to you if if you're if you're interested. Sure, <laughs> um, I love talking to you. I know I love talking to you too. <laughs> and um, I just wanna I just wanna thank you. I mean I, I, this is gonna sound cheesy, but like, just like you said, you know, Nancy saw something in you. I feel like you saw something in me that I don't know if I oh. knew was there. Um, and and the kinds of experiences that we had when we were working together and beyond have been have really helped shape where and how. <laughs> how I've I've operated and and manifest in the in this world and what I'm trying to accomplish and um and so I it means a lot for me to have you be a guest on this uh on this podcast and and I just feel like there's so much more that we can talk about so I'd love to talk more and thank you
3: for saying that to me it's very meaningful to me
2: um so Edie yes uh do you want to do you want to sign us off? This is a new thing I'm just trying right now. Okay. Um, so, this is, you could say Are we improving? We're it was totally improving. <laughs> so, you know, the title of the, the piece, if there's any last things that you'd like to share with the
3: listeners. Oh, gosh. I think, you know, I think the work of artists in this world is more uh, important than ever. I think artists, uh, particularly performing artists, have a contribution to make about give and take, about yes and, speaking of improv, um, about listening, as well as speaking, about ensemble, that is more important than ever before. I, and I think they also, I say all that and I think about even, you know, like the Liz Lerman and the critical response. Artists are used to taking notes and giving notes and in a way that is constructive. And we need more of that in the world. And the, and the, and the, and what we, you and I, and, and our, all of our colleagues at the New Victory and Beyond know in our bones is that when artists put themselves in those situations, when they share that expertise and those gifts with other people, the, the people they interact with grow and change and transform. But as artists, And practitioners, we grow and change and transform as people and as creators. And our work, all of our work, whether your work is the work of a student in a classroom, or a teacher, or an audience member, as an adult audience member. Your way of being in the world is changed and your way of making art in the world is also changed. And what I am most interested in these days is that exchange and the art that comes out of it and the community that comes out of it. Thank you, Edie. (laughs) Thank you, Courtney.
0: Thank you for listening to Episode 10, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Edie Demas, The Sphere of Cultural Responsibility, Join us next time for even more Edie Demas. Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. is edited by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. Like our page on Facebook. Listen to us on SoundCloud. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. And be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your your life
1: and these people like you and me. Let's start it up now, let's start it up now, let's start it up now, let's start it up now Woo.